0: Welcome to the first and Ten podcast i'm your host patrick feltz i'm here in indianapolis back home uh, we're recording our mid-season basically at the mid-season point if you can believe it or not like we're, we're here uh we're doing our mid-season awards for the big ten uh and joining me as always is Reed murray in Nashville, tennessee and for the first time on the first and ten it's aiden coons from the hoosier experience a show reed did uh, this previous weekend, recapping the Ohio State Indiana game. How are you guys doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, second time recording today. Obviously, um, not sure how it's gonna look in terms of uploading, but we did record earlier today. We're planning on recording tomorrow. So, action packed first and ten week, and I'm having a blast.
0: Right. Uh, Anchor is actually down at the time of recording this. Anchor is the free podcast recording platform that you know from our. Uh, uh add at the beginning of every episode if you've listened to our uh episodes via podcast not via youtube uh you know that but anchor is not running right now so these episodes on the day of recording are only getting uploaded to youtube uh we'll have them up to anchor and your preferred podcast platform at some point maybe you're listening on it and uh, you're thinking about that right now but uh aiden we're glad to have you on today too
2: yeah, good to be on boys, I uh, haven't been on the show yet, although you know I've had both of you on my pod, which is also an anchor pod, so we'll see how the uploading goes there, uh, we're covering the game tonight, IU basketball season opener against Tennessee Tech, I'll be covering that game shortly, as of time of recording, we're two hours to tip, so that's going to be a fun one, I'm happy to be on the show, and, and I'm excited to talk a uh, little Big Ten football.
0: Reed, you live in Tennessee, what do you know about Tennessee Tech?
1: Uh, another called the Golden Eagles. They are from I think Cookville, I think is what it's called. Um don't know too much else, and in Indiana should win pretty comfortably.
0: Hopefully. Yeah, if Indiana so. does not win this game and win this game by a lot, uh we're gonna be in trouble. <laughs> That's all I gotta yeah. say. Uh, but what we've got is our Big Ten award projections. Let's talk some football, no basketball right now. So at the midpoint of the season, this is our awards. So we're gonna be doing our MVP. Offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, coach of the year, the surprise team, the disappointing team, the great stats, bad team guy, our sleeper for the rest of the season, and the human highlight reel, which is one I'm excited to talk about. So we've got nine awards lined up uh, for each of us, the three of us. So we'll have 27 picks. I'm sure there will be some overlap because some of them are just easy picks, but uh, I'm ready to get started. And Aiden, I'll let you go off the bat. Who is your MVP of Big Ten football? at this point in the season? Yeah, my,
2: so my MVP so far is, is Michael Penix Jr., quarterback at Indiana. Um, this one, to me, you know, usually we make MVP sort of a pseudo best quarterback award. Um, and and even here, like, I just think Justin Fields at Ohio State and, and Mike Penix at Indiana are the two best quarterbacks in the league. And to me, it, it just kind of comes down to just this weekend with the head-to-head matchup. Um, when you look at this matchup, Obviously, Pennix put up much bigger stats throwing for 491 yards. The five touchdowns uh, did have an interception. But, but when we're talking about most valuable player, Pennix had negative one rushing yard or Indiana, sorry, had negative one rushing yards on 16 attempts, whereas Fields and Ohio State, their team had over 300 yards rushing. They were able to take the ball out of Fields' hands, whereas Indiana kind of had to had to live or die with Mike Penix, and, and he delivered for them. He's been very good this season. Um, 1,561 yards, 14 touchdowns, four picks. Obviously we all know the reach against Penn State. To me, Penix has been, um, I think they're neck and neck in terms of their play so far this season. Uh, but to me, looking at that head to head matchup, I just felt like Pennix had to do a little more for Indiana. He's a little more valuable to their team because they don't have as much around him whereas I think Ohio State has, has quite a bit of talent when you think about that offensive line, that backfield with Master Teague and Trey Sermon, and then, of course, the receivers with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave.
1: I think you're right about that. I think Indiana probably relies on Pennix more than any team relies on their quarterback, and for good reason. He's an amazing talent. Um, for me, I agree with you uh, in my pick and the way I chose it being most valuable uh, as opposed to best. I'm choosing David Bell. And like I said, I don't think he's the best player in the Big Ten. I would call him the most valuable, though. And I'm giving this to him in the midseason awards for a reason. I don't think he'll be MVP by the end of the year because Rondell Moore is back. But no team has relied on a single player as much as Purdue has relied on David Bell. Um, You know, they've lived and died with David Bell. Uh, He's always put up great numbers for them. And Aiden O'Connell throughout the season, he's been his favorite target. Uh, He likes to find Bell and Milton Wright the most. But uh, David Bell... I don't think any big 10 team relies on a single star as much as him. Um, And just like Penix for good reason, he's an incredible talent um, and they need him. So David Bell is my midseason most valuable player.
0: Reed. I love that David Bell pick. That's, that's super interesting. I like your logic there. Both of you guys, the just value value to their team. Uh, That's what it is. Most valuable. And honestly, by that logic, if you're talking about who makes up the biggest percent and chunk of their offense, I'd go with Mo Ibrahim of Minnesota, but his team has been so bad that it's tough to give him the MVP. I'm going with Mike Penix, too. Uh, Indiana's won games, and they've won games really because of him. Uh, He he did struggle in that first Penn State game, Uh, really up until he couldn't struggle anymore. Uh, In that final drive, he was elite. And, of course, the reach, the two-point conversion, all of it. There were so many incredible moments from that game. And going forward, 491 yards against Ohio State, all these other just crazy good games. And while I don't think he's going to quite enter the Heisman conversation this season, he should be on every Heisman watch list in America from day one next year. Michael Penix is the truth, and he is my midseason MVP. Although I would say I think Justin Fields is a better player then Michael Penix, don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. And Fields has been incredible this season, too. I mean, what was the stat? He had more touchdowns than incompletions through like his first four games or something, or three games. I forget what the exact stat two out of
1: his first three games he had more um touchdowns, touchdowns than incompletions. Touchdowns.
0: That's incredible. So. Like like stats like that, uh I mean it takes a special, special, special player for that. And Justin Fields is exactly that. So me picking Penix here is not a knock on Fields, but more of just a salute to Penix who has been an absolute yeah. stud this season.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Justin Fields is going to be most likely the second overall pick in next <laughs> year's draft. Um, and Penix right now is is probably not at that level, but to me, man, what he's done for for this Indiana team is, is special.
0: Right. And, and I get into my, the next category, offensive player of the year where I kind of see a similar pattern here and Uh, I wanted to pick Penix again. I really did because I think he absolutely deserves it. But I'm going with his favorite target. I'm going with Ty Freifogel, who has had these last two weeks two of the best receiving games you'll ever see, back-to-back 200-yard multi-touchdown games. Ty Freifogel is not just an elite receiver. He's probably a top-five receiver in the nation. He has been unstoppable these last few weeks, and he's really made a name for himself nationally. Ty Freifogel is my offensive player of the year so far
1: i to go with Mo Ibrahim. You just talked about him a second ago. Um, he really carries his team in a way that few others do. He's So far he's got 13 touchdowns and 817 yards on the ground. That's just through four weeks. Um, he's on pace to completely shatter his uh, previous highest total of rushing yards in the season, which was 1,160 uh, in his first season at Minnesota. Um, Minnesota relies on this guy. I mean, it, it's very similar to the way – that Purdue does on David Bell. He's essentially their entire offense, and Tanner Morgan has been disappointing all year, um, but they've still been able to win two games and put up a fight um, now and then uh, against Maryland. They had, a, I mean, Ibrahim, he has a good game every week, and even weeks where he doesn't play well, just like last week. Um, his standard of a bad game is considered a great game for so many others, which is why i got to give him Offensive Player of the Year.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Reed, with With the pick of Ibrahim. I mean, obviously, it's been a disappointing season for Minnesota. I, I personally thought they'd be much better than they have been. Um, but when you look at the production, five and a half yards per carry, like you said, the, the 13 touchdowns, the 817 yards. I mean, he, he's returned kicks. He catches passes. He, there's just not much more you can say about this guy. He's really shouldered the load for them in a way I don't think many people – thought he would. And I expect that to increase even more now with the news that Rashad Bateman has just bailed on the season. Um, so I don't, I just think to me, Ibrahim kind of embodies that offensive player of the year when you don't necessarily have to account for wins.
0: Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And I have another category later, the great stats, bad team guy that I think Ibrahim is kind of the epitome of, but uh, let's get through these player of the years uh, real quick. And the other of the years, uh, defensive player of the year. Reed, I'll let you take this one first. Who's your DPOI?
1: Jamar Johnson. Um, he's one of my favorite players in the Big Ten. Um, probably my favorite player on this Indiana team. And just, I mean, he got two picks last week against Ohio State. Not many guys can do that, especially against a Justin Fields-led Ohio State team, but he's really been the backbone of this team. Uh, he got a crucial pick against Penn State. I believe he got a pick against – or no, he didn't get a pick against Michigan. He uh, got tossed out of that game early on. But either way, he has been consistent this entire year. He's made big plays and it mattered, and like he's the heart and soul of this team, I would say, or at least the heart and soul of this defense, if you want to say that Penix is the heart and soul of the team. Um, I don't see a, a defensive player you could really say is more valuable or overall better than Jamar Johnson. And the way he's been able to he, – he, I mean, he's the leader of this defense. The defense, I would say, is the strength of this year's Indiana team – so him being the number one guy in that secondary, I think you've got to give him defensive player of the year.
0: Aiden.
2: Yeah, so for me, and, and I agree for the most part with, with that uh, read, but I will have to go with, with Brandon Joseph, the safety at Northwestern. Um, this guy leads, leads the league in picks. He has five interceptions so far. And, and for me, it, it kind of just came to down to as much as I like Jamar, I do feel that Indiana has uh, a deep group of defensive backs with Jalen Williams as the third corner there with Taiwan Mullen um, with some of the safeties that they have there at Indiana. And and to me, I just kind of wanted to reward this Northwestern defense, which has been one of the best in the nation, quite frankly, giving up only 12.6 points per game, which is fourth in the nation. Joseph has been kind of a revelation at safety. He's just a redshirt freshman. Played in only two games last year. Got pretty much no time. Um, he's really broken out this year with those five interceptions. He's got 28 tackles. I mean, the stats for a DB, you know, are very impressive. Uh, he's been a playmaker. He's really come up big in some of these games, particularly the Purdue game when he had two picks in the second half. And I just feel like rewarding this Northwestern defense. I feel like Joseph has been uh, one of the elite playmakers in the league. And so I'll give him defense player of the year.
0: As great as Brandon Joseph's been and as great as Jamar Johnson's been, Jamar Johnson was going to be my pick originally. Uh, and I love Jamar Johnson. Uh, I won a Grammy. It's been great. Uh, if you follow his Instagram at I won a Grammy, I love that name. But uh, Jamar has been great. So has Brandon Joseph. But I'm I'm sticking with Northwestern here. And I have I was tempted to pick Jamar Johnson or even Taiwan Mullen or Micah McFadden or one of those IU defenders. But Patty Fisher is the heart and soul of the Northwestern defense. Uh, and as good as Joseph has been and all these other players, this team, I think, falls apart without Patty Fisher. He is just the heart and soul. He is their leader. He's the guy. He is just the the man for Northwestern. And without him, I don't think this is the same defense. And you could have everybody else, and you could have a guy just as talented as him, but he's a leader, and he really holds this defense together. Patty Fisher is my defensive player of the year at the midseason point. And shout out to that Northwestern defense for just being absolutely shut down. Every week in and week out. They get it done, yeah. and uh, I was high on them coming into the season. I had Northwestern winning the West, and I'll uh, talk about that pick forever, about how I called it, but uh, I didn't think they the defense would be this good. I hope they'd be good, like very, very good, like top 15 good. I didn't think they'd be top five or arguably the best in the nation, but I think a lot of that goes to coaching. A lot of that goes to to the talent, truly, and, and these guys are old. They're experienced, and they're going to be tough to beat come bowl season.
2: Yeah and guys I, I know Joey Galloway called this defense a bunch of Reese Davises running around and I thought that was incredibly disrespectful. I mean when you look at these guys these are athletes these are talented players. I can't tell you how excited I am to see this defense uh, kind of throw its hat in the ring and, and see what it can do against Ohio State in that championship game which at this point looks, looks pretty inevitable.
0: I think it's inevitable too and uh they, they did it against Wisconsin. They shut down the high flying Graham Mertz. He was supposed to be so unstoppable. They made him look absolutely pedestrian. Uh they just did. And if they're a bunch of Reese davises then Reese Davis must be an elite defender because that's what this Northwestern defense is. It's elite. It really is. Uh next up we got Coach of the Year. Uh if I could give it to a coordinator, I would give it to Mike Bajakian of Northwestern. I'm gonna give it to a head coach, but Bajakian at Northwestern has been awesome. Uh, He made this offense go from mediocre to incredible. (laughs) Well, not incredible, but incredible in comparison to last year is what I mean. Uh, It's a pretty okay offense, but that's all they needed. And what do you know? A 3-9 and team last year is undefeated in the top 10 right now because the defense was so good and the offense is just okay. But that's all you needed. Uh, So I would give it to Bajakian if I were to give it to a coordinator, but I'm going Tom Allen. Tom Allen has been the man ever since he really started at IU, he has been about one thing, LEO, love each other. He has implemented that into the locker room. That's the culture. Those guys are playing their hearts out for him, for each other. That's not just a one-off culture. That is not just a thing that you have for one year and uh, then it disappears. That's a thing you recruit off of. Guys commit to your school because of that, because they want to play for each other and they want to play for you. And it really has come into its own this year. It's It's been a couple of years in the making, you know, uh, they had big progress last year, won eight games. Uh, this season, it is, you know, top 10. Indiana was in the top 10. It, it's it's not, not, not much else to say. Uh, Tom Allen's an easy pick here. And it, it's been incredible to see the turnaround of Indiana football. And I can promise you that if Tom Allen is the coach of Indiana going forward, it's going to be like this for a long, long time.
1: I think Tom Allen is the obvious pick here. Um, I mean, last year, if you want to talk about Coach of the Year, you could make the case for uh, either Tom Allen, PJ Fleck, or Ryan Day. But I think so far, at least this season, Tom Allen is the only guy you can really go with um, just what he's done. I mean, Indiana was already on the rise this year, but he's taken Indiana to a whole new level. And we've been talking about what Indiana could be for a while. Now that's what Indiana is. So Tom Allen, he's clearly coach of the season. But uh, while you bring up coordinators, I want to talk about an assistant coach, Brian Hartline at Ohio State. He's the wide receivers coach. What an incredible job of recruiting he's done. Um, He came in to be the coach in 2018 um, after the whole scandal with Urban Meyer and a former wide receiver uh, coach, Brian Hartline. He's an Ohio State alum, played the NFL, came in, and he's recruited incredibly. He's brought in guys um, like Jackson Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Etc., and he's developed some of these players like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to be the players they are today. So, just want to give another shout out to him. I talked to him before on the pod, um, but he doesn't get enough recognition, and one day he might become a coordinator or something like that. We'll see. Um, but just a fantastic job that uh, he's done with the Buckeyes.
2: Yeah, and Hardline, they just landed Caleb Burton, who I think is a top 15 national recruiter receiver. Um, well, we're on coordinators. I would throw, you know, Kane Womack and Nick Sheridan, Indiana's coordinator duo, into the mix. I think those two guys have done a fantastic job. I'll tell you Womack- this, about, by the way,
0: I want to talk about Sheridan. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I All think right, Sheridan right. has been a clear downgrade from Kalen DeBoer. I don't think Sheridan's been that good. I think the offense has been great, but I think it's because those guys are talented. Sheridan's an awful play caller, except when he has to be good. <laughs> when when it's time to throw the ball, if they're throwing it great, and I think you can credit him for that. The run game has been terrible this season because Sheridan doesn't know how to call an outside run. And I think that's all on him.
2: Well, I, I, I get that, but I also think Stevie Scott's not, I mean, I'm down on Stevie Scott and I'm someone who hasn't watched a lot of Indiana before this season. I have not been impressed at all with Stevie Scott um, in this Indiana run game. I, I do like, I will say, I do like some of Sheridan's passing concepts. I like the mesh concepts. He likes to run with the shallow crossers. I do think he's kind of Brought out some good in 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 Fry Fogle in this receiver duo. I agree with you on the run game; it's been abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough well, to I'm give him not,
0: anything after that. It, it, I mean, yeah, the run game is. Yeah.
2: I just think Kalen DeBauer was better, and, and
0: you know that's on. Oh, Sheridan's a first-year yeah. play caller. It's not his fault. He's going to learn, but you think he'd learn to not call a delayed draw on first down every single drive after yeah, you the, know how many games have it.
2: <laughs> the first down runs are frustrating. Um, but I do feel like a lot of play callers end up doing that. And it's
0: not just that it's a run on first down. It's that it's the exact same delayed handoff every single time, right up the middle. And the the inside running just doesn't work for Indiana. So I think that's. I
2: I will give some credit though, to Kane Womack, um, who is the Indiana's defensive coordinator really was after rewatching that Ohio state, Indiana game, really impressed with what he did to confuse fields in terms of different stunts and blitzes that he he brings pressure with everyone he brings pressure with McFadden the linebacker he brings pressure with Mullen the corner uh Johnson the corner really just impressed with what he's done I'd also give it to Tom Allen I just think with these coach of the year awards I like giving it to the coach of the upstart program rather than necessarily the best coach and who's had the most success if you want to say Ryan Day could always win it uh, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald obviously will Will have a good, as good a case as anyone in terms of getting Northwestern to their highest ranking ever. But so is Tom Allen, and Tom Allen, to me, when you look at Indiana's history, uh, they haven't been as good as Northwestern. So I just think them coming out of nowhere, them finally realizing their potential, and and like you guys said, hit that Elio mantra. I mean, Tom Allen's been the most famous coach in the country this year. I feel like giving it, giving not giving it to him would be malpractice
0: absolutely tom allen's the man he just is and uh there are gonna be a lot of big schools that come calling for him but hopefully he stays put in indiana because he's building something special not just building he built it it's built it's here indiana football is not just a thing that's gonna happen that i'm high on it is here it's here and tom allen did that so credit to him all right so uh next award we're talking about here uh we just did coach of the year We've got our surprise team and, you know, for me, this team is not a surprise. For me, this team is obvious because I called it from day one and I repeated this a billion times. The Northwestern Wildcats are undefeated and I called it. Uh, We've talked so much about just Indiana and Northwestern on this program already, but with our surprise team, I think it's got to be Northwestern because while I thought they'd be really good and I thought they were going to win the Big Ten West from day one, I didn't think that the defense would be a top five unit in the nation. And here it is. This defense is elite. This defense is unstoppable, and the offense is okay. It's passable, and I think that goes to Peyton Ramsey. It goes to Mike Bajakian. It goes to Pat Fitzgerald. This this team. A lot of people were out on Northwestern after a three and nine season last year. I think that was all on Mick McCall and uh, you know some bad quarterback play too. But that's all been fixed, and now what do you know? Northwestern is a top ten team. So credit to Pat Fitzgerald and Co. Uh, and you've got it this
1: year. Yeah, I was going to go with Northwestern, but uh, they seem to be the obvious pick. I'm going to go with another surprise, the Maryland Terrapins. Yep. Some people are getting a little too high on them because, I mean, they did beat Minnesota in overtime. Minnesota's a team that if you're a, if you're a real threat for uh, winning your division or getting into a good bowl game, you should be uh, beating in regulation. But they have impressed me. I didn't see that one coming at all. They, they went into Happy Valley and slap Penn State around. Uh, and this is a Maryland team. I expected nothing from. I expected them to to get maybe win against one of Rutgers or Michigan State, um, but I was expecting them to be a team who shows signs of uh, being good in the future, but isn't just it just isn't there yet. There's too much young talent, uh, not not enough developed players. But here they are. They go in. They win a few games. They have a winning record as it stands, um, and obviously they got destroyed by Northwestern early in the year. But they have a winning record, um, and they're likely going to a somewhat respectable bowl game uh, when we get into the bowl season. So Maryland, they really surprised me. I'm giving them my surprise team of the
0: year award. One other thing Maryland has been destroyed by though is COVID and we haven't seen them in a couple of weeks and uh, sounds like they'll be playing this week against Indiana though. So we'll see.
2: Yeah. I think when we come back to this at the end of the season, Maryland uh, may, may be the pick. They may not be because they've only played three games. If they could pull off a win against Indiana this weekend or even they go to Michigan and, and I think they, they finish with Rutgers. So, you know, if they could win some of those games. Uh, but I, I think you're right, Reed. I didn't expect anything from this team either. I'd throw uh, Maryland in there. Uh, Northwestern to me last year, it was almost like the Pittsburgh Steelers last year where like they had this elite defense and you know, they're good. They just don't have a good record because their quarterback plays atrocious. So when you upgrade that quarterback play and the, the defense stays the same, what do you get? You get an undefeated team with, with the Steelers and also with, with Northwestern. I think they're they're the easy pick, right? I mean, I don't think um really most people I know you did, Pat, but I don't think a lot of people really <laughs> expected uh, this kind of success, uh, this from this this roster, this team. So all credit to, to Pat Fitzgerald. The other team, I know they're not the record may not show it, but Rutgers has been surprisingly competent, I think. Right. Uh, I mean, listen, they I don't think Progress. anyone thought the team- I don't think anyone would have thought this team would be taking Michigan to overtime uh, when we started the season, let alone um, triple overtime. Yeah. So, Hey, I'll throw them in there just cause I'm impressed by Greg Shiano. I think he's, he's got them on the right track.
0: Absolutely. agreed. And I, what I wanted to see from Rutgers this year was progress and they've shown that in spades. So uh, Rutgers, Maryland, and especially Northwestern have all looked way better than a lot of people thought, including myself. So uh, shout out to those three teams, but uh, let's get into our next category really the opposite of this one, the disappointing team. Who's been the most disappointing team in the Big Ten? And I think it's a battle of two teams who are playing this weekend, unless you want to give it to uh, another contender out of the Big Ten West. But I think there are three obvious contenders here, Penn State, Michigan, Minnesota. Uh, Reed and Aiden, do you guys pick one of those?
2: Yeah, do we want to just take turns bashing on Penn State here and James Franklin? Let's do it. Uh, All right. So
0: Penn State, Michael Penix Jr. killed him. Uh, I said it on our pod earlier today. If you haven't listened to that one episode, uh, I believe it's uh, 68, 67. One of those. uh, It's our week five recap. Ever since the Michael Penix Jr. play and really ever since the Devin Ford touchdown he shouldn't have scored, Penn State football has not been the same. The energy is gone. The enthusiasm is gone. They just feel like a shell of their former selves. They're too obvious to be the most disappointing team. They're 0-5 for the first time in the history of the universe. Penn State has never been 0-5 before. Here they are. I mean, come on. If if you were told at the beginning of the season Penn State was 0-5, what would you have done? Like, I, I don't think we're appreciating as a society just how insane it is that Penn State is 0-5 in football. Like, can you believe that?
1: No, I mean. I love it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm not going to call Penn State my rival as an Ohio State fan, but uh, it's nice to see. And it gives me a good chuckle to see that another one of the big uh, Big Ten East teams is struggling the way they are.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, and it should it be it should be acknowledged that you know, obviously, Journey Brown will never play football again. Sadly, uh, Michael Parsons yeah. knocked it out. Um, they've lost some talent, but at the same time, like they've hit so many new lows. It seems like every week. Losing to Indiana was embarrassing for their fans. Then they looked semi-competent against Ohio State. But then the, their last three losses, Maryland, I thought, was, was a low point. Then they lose to Nebraska, of all teams, and then get blown out by Iowa at home. It's just not happening for this team right now. I, do you guys think Franklin State, I, I think he does, just because with COVID, the buyouts, we're not going to see as much firing. But I don't know. I, I'm not impressed by this guy. Well, we talked yeah, we about
0: talked- we talked about this earlier on our show. Uh, yeah. Well, well, I think my thought is if they lose out or if they win one game, you can't keep him after that because that could arguably do more damage to the program than any price tag could. Because if you keep around a guy who wins one game in a season in your Penn State, like it could get real ugly real fast if it hasn't already gotten ugly enough. But if they win two or three games, I think they give him another chance. Use the COVID excuse.
1: Yeah, I said if they win one game, they keep him just because of that big buyout. And at the end of the day, you look at what he's done in the past, um, I think they can let a one-win season slide with all things considered. Um, I think if there wasn't that huge buyout, then a one-win season would see James Franklin uh, out the door. But um, I think the only scenario where he goes is if Penn State goes 0-9
2: this season. It's going to be uh, interesting to see just across college football how much COVID impacts how many coaches are fired. We already saw Champ at South Carolina. Um, those buyouts are, are very expensive and, and pretty tough to deal with if you're a program. So it's interesting. I, I think he probably gets another year, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. So I gave my disappointing team of the year to the Minnesota golden Gophers. I feel like I had to, since they were my pick to win the West two years in a row. Um, they proved me right last year. Uh, they didn't win the West, uh, which is my ultimate prediction, but they proved me right in being a really good team and being a national uh, contender team who's in the top 25 consistently by the end of the year. And this year they did the complete opposite of that and they let me down. Um, So they disappointed me more than Penn State or Michigan did. And especially Michigan, because I actually saw Michigan having a really down year. I picked them to go three and five uh, in my preseason predictions. So Michigan uh, wasn't as much of a disappointment or a surprise to me. It was actually a really pleasant non-surprise. I don't know what you would call that, but, Um, It felt good to be right, and it felt good to see Michigan at uh, lowest of their lows this season. Hopefully, they'll keep that up. So Michigan doesn't get my pick, and they're not even in the top two. This criteria, I got to give it to Minnesota, although Penn State did completely shock me. Um, It wasn't as disappointing, I would say, as Minnesota's was.
0: It's so hard to not give it to Penn State, though, if you ask me, because, I mean, they're winless. They haven't won a game, and, and Minnesota's won well, too. I can't
1: give it to Penn State because then that would mean that I have um, an emotional investment in Penn State failing, and that would be that would be me admitting that I see them as a rival, which is just not the case. Not gonna happen.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: Reed is too committed to the bit
1: It's well, not even a bit. I don't consider Penn State a rival. There. <laughs> I mean, if, if you had, <laughs> maybe we yeah. have a rival with them, but we don't. Michigan is Michigan's the biggest deal to us, and they're the only deal to us.
2: Um, well, and the other thing is. Minnesota, I mean, this team was, this Minnesota team was, was so easy to root for last year. So I think it is a little disappointing. It is, and it still is. Yeah. Coach, Black, I'm not saying awesome. it's not
0: disappointing. I'm not saying it isn't, but I mean, Penn State, that's just, that's another level if you ask me.
2: We're, yeah, if we're talking who has, you know, not played up to expectations the most, I, I think it's it's Penn State, But mm-hmm. but I hear you.
0: I get it. I do. Uh, Next award we're going with here. uh, The best, best guy on a bad team. Great stats, bad team guy. And I'm going to talk about Minnesota again. Mo Ibrahim is the epitome of incredible player on an awful team because not only is he having a great season, he's doing it in the face of an awful season for the Gophers who they've won two games, but they really shouldn't have won one of them against Purdue. So this should be a one-win team. In all honesty, uh, this team isn't that good, and they're they're uh, they're not looking to to be on the upswing anytime soon. And their game, the the battle for the axe is off this week against Wisconsin because of COVID, uh, so they're not going to get a chance to to turn the season around uh, against their rivals. But Ibrahim has been incredible in spite of all that. If you told me that Mo Ibrahim was going to cement himself as pretty clearly the best running back in the Big Ten at the beginning of the season but didn't tell me anything about minnesota i'd be like wow minnesota must be like a top 10 team they're probably a shoe in to win the west but uh no not even close and and without bateman i think uh the stats for ibrahim are only getting it better but uh minnesota is not good ultimate great player on an awful team so uh ibrahim gets that for me
1: I'm going to go with Jahan Dotson, kind of the inverse of what you did. You chose Penn state as your disappointing team and a Minnesota player as your mm-hmm. great stats, bad team. I'm doing the opposite. I got a Penn state player here and uh, Dotson. You could the epitome of Jahan Dotson's great stats, bad team campaign was the Ohio state game where he just completely balled out, made some incredible catches, went up against Sean Wade, Ohio state's best defensive back and made a complete fool of him. Um, and his team hardly even contested for a win there. Um, that's all you really need to see is, is what, what he did. I mean, he, he had a good game against Indiana too, and he made uh, a really great play late to give Penn State the lead. Or actually, I, I, don't, I believe it wasn't to give them the lead, but it was uh, to really put them back in the game. Um, either way, Jahan Dotson, he's been great all year, um, and he's got a really disappointing quarterback, Sean Clifford, throwing to him. And if, and if we had to have a disappointing player of the year, I think Sean Clifford would win that award because I considered him a top five, maybe even top three Big Ten quarterback, over the offseason, he has not been that at all. Um, So Jahan Dotson is a guy you really feel bad for. You feel bad for both Ibrahim and Dotson, but um, when you have such an amazing wide receiver talent with um, a quarterback who's not helped out very much by his line um, and and a quarterback who's supposed to be all that and he just can't hit you up when you need him to and your team's not winning games, you feel bad for him. And uh, he's the real great stats, bad team guy for me.
2: Yeah, I agree with both you guys. I think those are the two clear options. Uh, Dotson has been a, a nice find for this big 10 or for this Penn state team. Um, but when you're playing with Clifford and, and now Will Levis, who's even worse at throwing the football than Clifford, um, it's just tough to do, to handle that as a receiver. And yet he still put up good stats. Ibrahim as well. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, just cause you guys said that I'd throw David Bell's name out there. I don't, think produce a bad team but I think they're a very average team and he's obviously put up you know what 425 yards six touchdowns he's produced in a big way for a team that I think is is just average and, and maybe even below that
1: and um, what really is unfortunate about the Dotson situation too is that I think the only real way Penn State can win a game uh, other than against Michigan State is if Will Levis is the quarterback, just because Will Levis, he brings a new element to the team, being a more dual-threat quarterback than Clifford. So it's yeah. really – you either have a bad quarterback passing to you but better than the alternative, which would be Clifford, um, and you probably lose games, but you get better stats, or you get worse individual stats, and your team can maybe get a win. So either way, it's a really lose. It's a real lose-lose for Dotson here. Um, and it's just an unfortunate situation
0: yeah agreed uh but but let's get into our next award here Uh, i think we're kind of through that one our sleeper player for the rest of the year so not really an award for what they've done so far but a guy who's maybe having a pretty good season but you think is just gonna get better as the season goes on uh my pick here though i'm going with mike epstein the running back for illinois he had a big game this week uh against nebraska 113 yards and a touchdown uh but he's not gotten the ball a whole lot, only 55 attempts, but he's averaging 6.1 yards per carry, which is really impressive. I think his amount of touches is going to go up drastically, especially after his performance this week. Uh, So you're going to see a lot of Mike Epstein going forward. Uh, I like him a lot, and I like this guy just kind of carrying Illinois uh, because I think they're going to rely on their run game a lot because Brandon Peters is kind of a so-so quarterback. Uh, If they're not playing Isaiah Williams, at quarterback, who's going to run the ball on every play, then every running play is just going to be a handoff, and it's going to go to Epstein. So you're going to see a lot of him. uh, His carries, I think, are going to go up steadily throughout the rest of the season, uh, especially this coming week, coming off a huge game. So uh, keep an eye on him.
1: Yeah, I can see that happening uh, for sure. My sleeper for the rest of the year, going to be an Iowa running back. He's really the second running back in this duo Uh, But he had a good week last week, and I could see him getting more and more touches as the season goes on. Makey Sargent. Again, I've said his name multiple times in this podcast. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. So, Sargent, if you're listening to this, somehow I apologize if I've mispronounced your name. Um, If you're an Iowa fan and you know the pronunciation, please let me know. Uh, But Sargent, he's a good back. Um, Hasn't gotten a ton of touches so far. He's only had 48 attempts on the season. Uh, But I like what I've seen from him so far. I think he and Goodson are a really good duo. They're really up there with – Um, Teague and Sermon, as well as Charbonnet and Haskins, uh, for the best running back duos in the conference. I like what I've seen from him. And another guy um, who I would say could be a sleeper, but potentially won't be because their easier games are more out of the way. Uh, Bo Milton, receiver at Rutgers. I like what I've seen from him so far. Uh, He's a senior, and I I would call him a sleeper uh, potentially for next season. Um, Or actually, no, he could be a sleeper for next season because he's a senior right now. Um, And for a second, I thought that would be the end of his college career, but then I remembered, Uh, of course, there's the COVID eligibility rule. So next year we could see uh, even more good production from him. I think Melton and Sargent are two guys who you're going to be hearing
2: their names more often in the future. So I'd throw David Bell out there for Indiana. I know obviously he had some big uh, bad plays in this game against Ohio State. Uh, The fumble uh, early in the the end of the first half, and then the the big drop that on the following play. Oh, David Ellis? David Ellis, not David Bell. My bad. David <laughs> Ellis. Uh good catch there. Yeah. No, he uh for Indiana, he's like a gadget guy. He's not really a running back. Uh he had four catches for eighty six yards, touchdown for Indiana. Like I said, big drop that led to the Penix pick six uh, and a fumble. But it kinda just struck me and, and it was it was his first game or, or second game back from injury for Indiana. Kind of just struck me that he uh was featured quite a bit because you know he's a guy who who has some speed. He's he's kind of a smaller guy, but they like to use him in the slot. They like to use him out of the backfield. I think you could see him kind of get some some more touches in this offense as he gets more accustomed uh, coming back from injury. So I think he'll he'll kind of just have a bigger role for Indiana, and it, it just seemed like they they liked what he brought to the table, even though he had some some big time uh, kind of bad plays. And then the other one, Jalen Berger, who's a true freshman back from. Uh, Wisconsin, who's from, uh, I think New Jersey and and he yeah. ran for 93 carries on, or 93 yards on 15 carries last Saturday. He's averaging six yards to carry. He's been a nice change of pace guy for them. And I feel like uh, going forward, at least he's going to be a really good player in the future. And, and maybe they even start to give him a little bit bigger role this season. So those two, two guys to me are, are ones that like are kind of on an upward trajectory right now.
1: I like what you're saying about Ellis and I see, uh, you know, with the way he's been getting touches, I think it's similar to Ty Freifogel in the in the in the week one game against Penn State. Freifogel was getting targets, um, ball was going to him, and he didn't didn't necessarily look great. Similar to Ellis here, and as he gets worked into this uh, Indiana play calling scheme, we might see a lot more of him, and he could surprise us moving forward. So I do like that pick from you a lot.
0: Yeah, and Jalen Berger coming out of a high school football powerhouse out in New Jersey at Don Bosco Prep, he's been a, a highly prized recruit for a lot of guys, and I think he's the next in line as you know, the traditional Wisconsin superstar running back, he's going to be the guy.
2: Yeah, he's shown some nice flashes for them. He really has.
0: Mm All right, so our last category here, the human highlight reel. Uh, I wanted to go with Ty Freifogel for this, but I already picked him for offensive player, and calling Ty Freifogel human is just not true because he is not a human. He is more than that. He is too good to be human. Uh, I'm going with David Bell. David Bell every single week he does something spectacular that you see someone tweeting about and I I mean he's he's just that good like you go and watch a Purdue game you're not watching it because you want to watch Purdue you're watching it because you don't watch David Bell in all honesty uh, if you're a neutral observer because this is a guy who's not just going to be producing in college I think for the rest of the season obviously and then next year until he goes to the NFL because he's going to be a first-round pick this guy is a stud he catches everything that's thrown his way and and I know that this is a play that happened last season for, for my example, for him being a human highlight reel, but his basically backflip catch against Indiana, the old Oaken Bucket game last year uh, is just a taste of what he does. This guy is incredible. And if you haven't watched Purdue this season, I would recommend watching just to watch David Bell play. He's that good. And you'll be seeing him on Sundays. I can guarantee it.
1: I agree with you. And I think David Bell is a pretty clear choice here. But I'm actually going to go with a guy who you you guys have picked for uh, different categories. I'm going go with Michael Penix just because it seems like when he gets on the field for Indiana, big things happen. It happened against uh, Ohio State. And early on against Penn State, he wasn't great. Uh, but he ended up winning the game for them, truly. I mean, he got the touchdown, two-point conversion, another touchdown pass in overtime, got the, the reach play. Um, he's the guy you want to watch for. He's the, real, he's the most explosive, attention-drawing um, guy in this Indiana team who's really just – he really is a highlight reel. And that's what he does. Um, he threw the ball for almost 500 yards against Ohio State. What more can I say? He is somebody who's always going to be in these highlight reels, somebody who you're always going to be seeing clips of all over Twitter and YouTube and everything. Um, so I'm going Michael Penix Jr. of Indiana.
2: And I will go with Ty Freifogel. I haven't mentioned him yet. Um, 31 catches, 642 yards, 21 uh, yards per catch, seven touchdowns. The guy's been a an absolute animal these last three weeks, Uh, starting with the Michigan game. He abused uh, Vincent Gray, the corner number four. Then he goes into Michigan state, sets the Indiana receptor single game receiving yards record. Then he breaks that own record against Ohio state just made Sean Wade really look pretty silly. The entire game. This guy is, is like, I I thought he was a possession receiver, but man, he has shown some real big playability um, really way more yards after the catch kind of guy than I thought he was. Uh, you saw that the, against Ohio state, he had two uh, catches where he he made the catch and then just extended it and ran it in for a touchdown uh, against Michigan. He had the the moss, he mossed gray in the end zone. This guy is just really breaking out. It's great to see. He's not a guy with elite speed. He's not a guy with elite strength, but he just makes plays and, and he's super impressive. And the other guy who's like, he's not even a human highlight reel, but, but, just the fact that we haven't even brought him up, Chris Olave at Ohio State. Reed, I know you love this dude. He's just so impressive to me when when you actually watch the game and I know he doesn't necessarily make the the most flashy plays, but just like thinking about that that catch he made against Indiana where he got one foot down. I just love watching the dude play as someone who loves football. And and maybe he's not making like the one-handed catches, but his footwork, his releases, his route running is just awesome. So I, I gotta gotta throw his name into the into the ring as well.
1: I love that you mentioned Olave and he hasn't really been um, all over the highlights for Ohio state this year. He hasn't gotten as many targets um, when compared to Garrett Wilson, but this is the kind of guy, if you're, if you love football, this is the kind of guy you want to watch. Absolutely. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's so reliable. He's just an incredible talent. And uh, there's a reason he's my favorite player on this team. And he's my favorite player and really the entire game of football, to be honest with you. Um, I can't say enough good things about Chris Olave and you really hit the nail right on the head there.
0: All right. So a lot of praise for all those guys, but uh let's get into our second facet of this show, our bowl projections, where we're just gonna be, uh, I think for the for the sake of time, I'm gonna let everybody just read a list of where they think these teams are going bowling for the rest of the season, uh in a couple weeks when those are eventually announced. Uh so Reed or Aiden, whichever one of you th- wants to take it first, I'll let you start.
1: I'll take it. Um I have my Ohio State Buckeyes as the two seed of this year's playoff. I got them going to Pasadena um, in the Rose Bowl against number three Clemson. Um, that's my pick for Ohio State. And then when we get into the New Year's Six, I only have one Big Ten team making the New Year's Six this year, and it's going to be Northwestern. I have them winning out in the regular season then losing to Ohio State the Big Ten championship. Um, and I think they're going to take on Miami in the Orange Bowl. I don't think Miami should be in the New Year's Six, but there's the ACC Bowl tie into the Orange Bowl. So, um Assuming that Clemson makes the playoff and I think Notre Dame in my prediction will also make the playoff. Miami finds their way in and they take on Northwestern should be a good game there with uh, the Northwestern secondary and such an explosive quarterback at Miami citrus bowl. This is one of the matchups I'm most excited for the playoff, but uh, outside of the playoff, um, the Indiana Georgia citrus bowl is one that I'm probably most excited for in my projections. And it's a game that I really do want to see happen. And it's, it's going to be a really great test, uh, as to where Indiana is. I mean, we we saw last week where this team is and and the way they battled Ohio State so well, and now can they go in and beat a a team as well-respected as Georgia? We saw they they beat Penn State and Michigan this year, obviously, but they're in down years. How well can they do against a true powerhouse who's having a normal year? Um, I'm really excited for that one. Outback Bowl, Wisconsin versus Auburn is my pick there, although I do think that Indiana could end up in that bowl just by virtue of uh, the bowl selection committee having a bias against Indiana because they're not a huge powerhouse blue blood team. And it'd be unfortunate to see that happen. Uh, but I think it's very much within the realm of possibility. Um, if I was the if I was the only person on the bowl selection committee, this would be the Outback Bowl, assuming every game goes the way I think it will for the re- remainder of the season. In the Duke's Mayo Bowl, last, last projection, I believe I had Penn State here, uh, or maybe I had, I, th- I actually think I had Purdue playing in this game. But uh, I have Iowa taking on North Carolina in this game. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Iowa, they'll, they'll essentially be what would normally be a 6-6 six and six or 7-5 team, regular Iowa team. So they ought to end up in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl. Um, Pinstripe Bowl, I have Purdue taking on Kentucky. Um, this will be the second time Purdue will be playing in the Music City Bowl in the last uh, – three seasons hopefully i'll be able to go to this game if they allow fans um and if the fan situation if it would be safe for me to go and if it's possible i would love to see this game and go cover it um i hope for there to be i hope for indiana to make the music city bowl last year but uh they ended up not being in it and it was a it was an sec acc game but this year the big 10 is in the music city bowl and that's they have that tie in for the next few years so hopefully i'll be able to cover some music city bowls in the next few years pinstripe bowl i have maryland making their first bowl game in a while to take on the Boston College Eagles. Um, And then in the guaranteed rate bowl, I have Michigan taking on Kansas State. And I've seen a few different bowl tie-ins in different websites. So I'm not sure if the Big Ten actually has a tie-in here because I've I've seen different information from different sources. But this one source I'm going off says that the Big Ten has a tie-in against the Big 12 in the first responder bowl. I don't think the big 10 should have nine teams bowling. I don't think we're that deep of a conference, but if there is nine teams to go bowling, I think Penn state after the awful season they've had sneaks their way into this game and takes on TCU um, mainly because they're just, they have the name Penn state. They're a big brand. So when you put them against other teams who are say three and six or so, I think Penn state will get the nod as opposed to say Nebraska or maybe a Rutgers or a team like that uh, just by virtue of being called the Penn state lions so I don't think they deserve a bowl game, but I think if the Big Ten does play in the first responder bowl, Penn State will get that selection. Those are my bowl projections. Those are all nine of my teams I have going to bowl games. Uh, let see what you guys got.
2: Yeah, so I have a very similar slate to you, Reed. I don't have that ninth game. Wherever I was looking didn't have that ninth tie-in. And, and quite honestly, I hope they don't have that because uh, I don't want to see Penn State in a bowl game. Yeah, Clemson, Ohio State, and Pasadena. Uh, I had Northwestern versus Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. I agree with you that I think they do get the New Year's Six bid. Um, Citrus Bowl, I had Georgia-Wisconsin. It's not, again, not what I would pick. Uh, I just think Wisconsin is the brand. And, and I, I kind of think Wisconsin may beat Indiana uh, in the regular season game. I know there's some disagreement, but I do think that uh, Wisconsin gets that bid. I think Indiana would then take the Outback Bowl bid against Auburn. I like that matched up for Indiana. Um, we know Minnesota beat up on Auburn last year. I think Indiana could kind of do the same. For the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, I've got Iowa-NC State. I don't know. I, I, I think I I have a similar – you had Carolina. I think I, I have State. I have Carolina in a little bit better Bowl. Uh, Music City, I've got Michigan-LSU, kind of a battle of disappointing teams. But, but you know, Music City would would jump on the opportunity to get those two brands there um I also had uh, Purdue Boston College in the pinstripe bowl and then I had Kansas State and Maryland in the guaranteed rate bowl so you know I think I I Maryland will see I mean I, it just it's so weird that they've only played three games and now they have to play Indiana even though they're two and one so this can kind of fluctuate depending on what kind of what COVID does to people but but I do think that at least those top seven teams will all go bowling and And I actually feel pretty confident that this is how it's going to slide, save for a few changes up and down. Because, you know, I just don't see Northwestern losing in the regular season. I think if they can keep it within two touchdowns against Ohio State, they'll, they'll get a New Year's Six Bowl appearance. And it's clear the committee already likes what they've done with that number eight ranking. And the only other comment I would have is that I think the committee being too high on Georgia at number nine could potentially preclude us from seeing Georgia in this Citrus Bowl or this Outback Bowl scenario because I think with the committee's bias, uh, I just I don't know I just don't trust them not to find a way to get Georgia into a New Year's Six bowl.
0: So in my perfect scenario, uh, mine's gonna look a little different from you guys just because I see the Big Ten having three teams in the New Year's Six for uh, another year here for a second consecutive year, uh, including Ohio State in the playoff against Clemson in the Rose Bowl, like you guys said. Uh, I've got Northwestern in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, and I've got them playing BYU. Uh, Well, I don't know if BYU is going to quite get that New Year's Six slot just because the committee hates them for whatever reason. Uh, They deserve it. And if you watch this team play, they absolutely deserve it. So I've got that. Uh, I've got Indiana in the Fiesta Bowl against Oregon. Uh, I think Indiana deserves a New Year's Six slot. Whether the committee is going to give it to them or not is another thing we're going to have to see coming. But, you know, they could be one of those at-large teams. I think they deserve it. Uh, so with that, that shakes up the rest of the rankings a little bit and the rest of the bowl selection. So Citrus Bowl, I've got Wisconsin. They're really the be- that best of the rest team. I think Indiana's going to beat them in the regular season. So uh, Wisconsin slots into that Citrus Bowl, and I've got them playing the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, the Outback Bowl, total Iowa game. This is going to be the most Outback Bowl Outback Bowl ever, Iowa versus Auburn. Uh, if, if you like Outback Bowls, this is for you because I feel like those teams are in the Outback Bowl every single year. Uh Music City Bowl, I've got Michigan in it. While I don't know if Michigan's really that good, in fact, they're not. I can tell you that right now. They're bound to win another game or two just because they're Michigan. So uh with that, I think they could totally get a bowl slot and you're right, Aiden, I think they'll get one. A lot of, a lot of that's because of the brand. Uh The Music City Bowl would love to have them and that draws a lot of eyes. Uh, and they'll be playing an SEC team. I've got them playing the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh could be a very good game there. Duke's Mayo Bowl, uh, I've got the Purdue Boilermakers in it. Uh, I think this game makes a lot of sense for Purdue, but uh, I've got them playing, uh, I believe this is an SEC tie-in. Correct me if I'm wrong.
2: ACC, I think. ACC,
0: okay, because I had both because I'd seen two different things there. Uh, so so if this is an ACC game, then I've actually got Purdue taking on uh, North Carolina State. Uh, I've got them taking on the pack, and then the pinstripe bowl, Maryland Terrapins are back in bowl season. Uh, I've got them taking on Boston College, just like you guys do. Boston College is a total uh, pinstripe bowl team. I feel like they're always in that game, but uh, those are my projections. A lot of similarities between us, uh, a lot of differences too. So uh, we'll see if those come true here at the midway point of the season. That's our show for today. Uh, That's the first and 10. Find us on Instagram at first and one G on Twitter at first and one G Aiden, thank you for joining us. Where can we find your stuff?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, You can find my stuff, uh, the Hoosier Experience podcast. Um, I do Indiana football, Indiana basketball. You can hear Reed Murray. He came on this weekend. Uh, If you want to hear his voice uh, a little more, if you want to hear Patrick's voice, you can go back in in time and find, I think we did a reaction to the Penn State game. We did, uh, among other things. (laughs) Indiana fans want to relive that moment. Uh, Go go ahead and go back to that. I also do some writing for the Daily Hoosier. um, Just film studies and and football and and I'll be getting into basketball tonight as IU starts. Uh, we also do, you know, intermittent recruit interviews with potential Indiana recruits. Um, so check us out the Hoosier experience podcast. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really fun doing that over, uh, you know, there, and, and I've just been enjoying covering Indiana football as, as they've been having this, this fun season.
0: It's an incredible show. And, Uh, If you're interested in Hoosiers, even in the slightest, it's totally worth a listen. Thanks for joining us today, Aiden, and uh, we hope you have a good rest of your day, all of you listeners out there, and we'll see you next time. Bye.